Welcome to Inside the Media Minds. I'm your host, Christine Blake. This show features in-depth interviews with tech reporters who share everything from their biggest pet peeves to their favorite stories and give you a behind-the-scenes look at the life of a technology reporter. We'll learn about the person behind the byline and get their thoughts on the top trending stories. From our studio at W2 Communications, let's go Inside the Media Minds. Inside the Media Minds. I'm here with Naomi Ivey from CIO Dive. Welcome. Hi, everyone. Thank you for coming into our studio today. Um, we're huge fans of you and CIO Dive yes. and everything you do over there. I'm also here with Georgia, our producer, so she may chime in a bit. But we're looking forward to getting to know a little bit more about you, um, about your beat, about your publication. And um, so let's go ahead and just jump in. So we'd love to get to know how you got into journalism and what drew you to the field. Uh, it's kind of a circuitous route. So I was a history major in college. I graduated in uh, a number of years ago with a history degree, a music minor, and a German minor. I do not speak German. Uh, and I, I started working almost immediately after college up in Rhode Island. I worked for a um, consulting firm, and so I was a recruiter which is not a glamorous lifestyle by any stretch of the imagination, but it kind of dipped my toes into this technology realm. Not in a million years did I think I'd end up doing what I'm doing now, um, but I actually had this long commute to Boston before we opened mm -hmm. up our Providence office, and so for three months I took the train every morning to Boston. Well, on that train I used to take naps. Uh, this is a real story. Um, <laughs> and I fell asleep one morning, woke up, and was like, I'm going to go to journalism school. Oh, my gosh. I thought it was a really good idea. But it, it did end up having a little bit more logic behind it. Um, for me, in many ways, journalism is the current and present extension of history. Uh -huh. So you're in the process of documenting as you go along. Oh, I, I love that. Thank you. Thank That's you. Cool. I'd like to think I coined it. Uh, <laughs> but I was under the impression that I was going to get my, uh, once I got my master's in journalism, I thought I was going to continue writing about what I wrote about when I was in undergrad, which was labor and religion. Okay. I couldn't be farther from writing about that now. Turns nope. out mm -hmm. I'm not as good with telling the people stories as I am to getting into the an analytical roots of something. Um, and so once I got to journalism school, my path slowly led me into business journalism. And then from there, I was able to eventually get a job at Industry Dive and, and, and work on the publication. Wow, that is quite the story. I love that. It almost seems like you're meant to be where you are now, just in how it all unfolded. Just woke up from a nap one day. Happy accidents. I'm, I'm ready for it. That's awesome. So for our listeners, tell us a little bit about CIO Dive. Sure. Uh, so CIO Dive is one of the publications um, put out by a, an organization called Industry Dive. It's a young media company based in D.C. Mm -hmm. It's just over six years old. And uh, so there's, I think this is accurate, 13 different verticals. Uh, everything from HR to waste to smart cities mm -hmm. to healthcare, utility, retail. There are more. Um, and and we were featured last year in the Washington Post, and, and, and the article said it was a company so boring that Warren Buffett would love it because it speaks to those. We cover the industries very specifically. Okay. Like, we're not doing news for consumers. We're doing news for B2B sure. customers. Um, 
So in particular, I am responsible for the operations of CIO Dive. I mm -hmm. have two colleagues who work directly with me, Samantha Schwartz and Alex Hickey. Right. Um, we do all of our writing ourselves and the production of the publication every day. Mm -hmm. And so in, in particular, CIO Dive uh, is responsible for covering news from a more business strategy perspective. So how, so how technology is working in action in the business. Okay. So different parts of technology can come up. Sometimes it's the workforce. Sometimes it's things like cybersecurity, mm -hmm. cloud. Um, we have something called future tech, which is a nice catch-all for the technologies that people like to talk about but can't actually in any way use right now, like blockchain or... Okay. Uh, the AI stuff, maybe? AI actually has its own category because okay. we're seeing a lot more of that um, just in, in practice, whether or not that's like actual artificial intelligence uh -huh. and sentient technology is the question that you have to decide as you start implementing these processes. Um, and nine times out of ten, it's just machine learning. But uh, so we try to speak to the IT business decision maker mm -hmm. and everyone that it entails. So that could be everything from a CIO, a CISO. Increasingly, it could be even a CFO who might be interested in the goings-ons of technologies yeah. because it's going to be very impactful to the business. It's probably important for them to know about it because so, they're the ones allowing you know the budget and working with the CISOs. Certainly, the there's there's a whole methodology in in the works right now that's mm -hmm. uh, called technology business management, and it, it the whole purpose is to marry those two together to really have CIOs work directly with CFOs oh, cool. to to run technology like a business mm -hmm. and and consider um, as as your purchasing power changes as you start buying technology rather than in like the three to four year refresh cycles you're starting to buy it in monthly costs per mm -hmm. user um, that that's that shift from on-premise solutions to more cloud-based mm -hmm. software and uh, that, that has really changed how you manage the financial aspects of technology implementations. And assessing the risks of not adopting the technologies, right? Sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. it becomes a big issue, right? If, you, if you're, you're a mom-and-pop shop who could be on the enterprise scale, so we really try to speak to enterprise readers, but you might be a little slower in technology adoption just by the very nature of your business. If you're sure. an old-school manufacturer, you, yeah. you might see threats coming, but the investment to change is very difficult. We see a lot of these technology companies spin up quickly uh -huh. um, because they're they're cloud native or they in many ways built the cloud. And so it, it, it seems easy, but I don't think we're getting enough of those true use cases that show just how hard it is and how slow mm -hmm. companies, how, how, how long company it takes for companies to uh, shift and, and migrate to a more digital savvy um, posture. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, looking at the tech industry and, you know, cybersecurity, what what personally interests you the most, do you think? Like, what do you like to cover? Sure. Uh, I'm a pessimist, which is oh. maybe, <laughs> it, it means that when I go to conferences, I challenge people quite frequently about what they're actually saying, what they're actually doing. I like that. That's good. Maybe it's just because I'm a competitive person, but I, I do like to think technology is overhyped and overvalued. You can you cannot um, the, the technology is the most valuable thing to a business, and mm -hmm. if you're being slow to adopt it, then you need to have a look in the mirror about whether or not you're doing your job correctly. Mm -hmm. The challenge, however, becomes overhyping the value and the implementations. If you are looking to technology to solve all your problems, you're inaccurate in many ways um, because you can't solve process problems with technology. You have sure. to take a look at process. You mm -hmm. can't solve workforce habits like people typing in 
the wrong passwords or easy passwords. That's not a technology problem. Mm -hmm. That is a people problem. And so I think in many ways, that's one of the things I look at a lot is as you uh, implement technology, how does that actually work? And and Mm -hmm. are you using it as a crutch? Um, Because you're going to have the bottom fall out on a procedure if if you try to just rely on technology alone. What I in particular like to cover, um, when I started at CIO Dive in January 2016, my second month on the job was the first hospital ransomware attack against LA Presbyterian. Mm -hmm. So I was in February 2016, so it set me on this road of further cybersecurity coverage. Uh I had previously covered cybersecurity um, by, I I had worked for a cybersecurity program at the University of Maryland where I got my Mm -hmm. master's. And I had also had experience covering federal contracting, which is increasingly focused on uh, one of the big products that is being um, sold to the government is cybersecurity solutions. Oh, yeah, definitely. Something Mm -hmm. you all would be very familiar with. Um, And so I was kind of thrust into this world of of cybersecurity Mm -hmm. and cyber threats and cyber war and all that, but it's really sexy. And so when you're learning the beat and when you're really becoming a a master in this, I had a background in it, but, but it... Cybersecurity became, I had, excuse me, I had a loose background in technology, mm-hmm. but cybersecurity became something that was very tangible to me. Yeah. So I started covering that a lot more in depth, and it is in many ways where I would say my, my best expertise is on cybersecurity, not necessarily the, the dark underworld of cybercrime. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, like when there's breaches, I'm not going to be the one who speaks about the, tech, right. the technical details. Um, but I definitely can look at things of a, as an overarching view and, and like a little bit more 30,000 foot view. This is what happened and this could be the impact. Because yeah. um, you're, you're writing for, you know, this C-level audience. So it's not so much of the technical details. It's like, how could this impact your business? Sure. And yeah. that, that becomes a really focus. If, if you look at our, our site, uh, there's a product we have called a, a dive brief. It's a type of article, and, and that yeah. that we're familiar. We like that. Yeah, it's yeah. One of our favorite parts. Well, and, and it's <laughs> the whole purpose, and it was really what Industry Dive was founded on is like you need to speak to business decision makers in a way that they can digest in, in any given day, mm-hmm. and, and one of the ways to do it is brevity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it breaks down the actual news in about three bullets, uh, three bullet points. And then the insight is really our bread and butter. And okay. so you need to know the whys, the hows of, of something, because just documenting it isn't going to add anything to the news cycle. We're trying to take the conversations a step further. Yeah. Um, and so cybersecurity, I am a big AI skeptic. So anytime there's AI yeah. in um, like people saying, this is artificial intelligence. I'm very quick to say, what are we talking about here? Um, so I, I think in many ways it's that perspective of as you're implementing technology, as I mentioned, it's it's what are you actually doing with it and, and how are you executing that implementation? Mm-hmm. So long story short, my, my core coverage areas are really role of CIO, uh, cybersecurity, and I do quite a bit with um, uh, like some of the cloud infrastructure as a service market competition. Um, I also have been doing a a bit recently as companies go public, talking about impact. Dropbox would be the most recent Mm -hmm. um, company that I dug into a little bit. Okay. Yeah, we saw some of your Dropbox um, coverage. That Mm -hmm. was, that was really good too. And it's funny, um, you know, you talked about when you first got into cybersecurity and ransomware. Like I remember very, well, we're coming up on a year of of WannaCry, Mm -hmm. right? One year anniversary. And I remember watching like the local news and they were like talking about ransomware and I was like, 
I thought, you know, it was something that only like cybersecurity professionals and people like us would know. And I'm like, wow, like people, I think my father-in-law was like ransomware. And I was like, what, what do you know about ransomware? So it's kind of interesting how this has become such a, you know, household, like important topic out there. So I think it's important, um, you know, continuing that conversation. And I can totally see why you'd be interested in that particularly. And you certainly know you've made it just since as made the right career decision when you hear NPR talking about something that yeah. you do that you thought was niche and has become right. very public. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it certainly comes in handy. And I, I do get some funny questions from friends just inquiring as to what exactly does this mean? Should I be wary of this site? Uh, <laughs> I try to be a resource, but it's also just like spreading education as you can. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so jumping into some of the, uh, the CIO and CISO um, coverage areas. So I know that there are, sometimes they're under the magnifying glass. So, you know, what do you think keeps that, um, those people up at night? Mm. Well, uh, certainly stories like Equifax are going to sure. be kind of the worst case scenario. Mm-hmm. When I talk to people, it, it, uh, much of it has to do with um, workforce and, and really... It's, you can get the technology, you can acquire the technology, but how do you actually implement it into your business if you don't have the people? How do you take on some of these new initiatives if you, uh, if you can't keep people because you can't pay them yeah. uh, enough because they'll, they'll go to the Google for twice the salary sort of thing? And it seems a lot flashier. And so that's the, one of the biggest concerns is... is um, workforce capabilities and and you hear that across the board with both CIOs and CISOs anyone who's really had to apply technology in their departments Mm -hmm. has this like pain point and and you think of all the pain points in technology there's probably a technology just solution to solve your problem the only one you can't yeah and the only one you can't solve is uh the workforce issue and so consistently it's it's not the technology solutions that is modernizing it's becoming more powerful it is how the the people bandwidth. Okay, and and that the talent shortage is definitely something they're trying to address by bringing in people with from other backgrounds sure. and educating them on the technology once they're you know in in the work because there's not another way to solve the issue right now. Well, and one of the things that's that's talked about a lot is these alternative pipelines. Do you need someone with a four year degree uh, to do mm-hmm. a job of a software engineer? I just recently met a security researcher who had dropped out of school because he realized he could do something very cool without having a four-year degree, and for him it was a bit of a waste of time. And there are certainly people out there like that, but you have to be willing to hire people like that. Yeah. And uh-huh. and and like so, if you're a hiring manager and it says you need three years of background experience in this, well, they they they're only two years out of school, they're only a year out of school, or they're 20 years old and have a brilliant expertise in it. And so it talks about how do you do different interviewing techniques to know that your technical talent is actually tech, technical, te- technically capable. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, there's there's some new ways. You'll hear some stories of like code tests and, and things like that so people can code in real time and really show their skills. Yeah. Um, but I think technology should be treated more like a trade. And right now it's mm-hmm. still treated like a skill that you get at a university. Mm-hmm. And so... If you were to have a return to the more trade approach to these very, very um, like product-oriented development skills, then I think you would have a, a, a little less 
less concerned about how you're applying it. I, you don't need to go to four-year college. Maybe it's a two-year college mm-hmm. to be capable, to be a good cyber threat hunter, for example. You yeah. could be someone who is really just has a background in video games. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time you just learn as you go with that type sure. of thing, too. It's like you're just learning and experiencing more. So There's a lot of on-the-job training that I think people are really, like, when I started journalism, journalism is a trade very much. I, I, I'm convinced that I went my master's is a trade uh, school, and that, that's really how you're trained. Is your My last semester was really um, an internship or a apprenticeship of sorts in, in journalism. And I think that should be treated more the case with uh, technology. Is like you can have the basic coding skills, and if you were to create a better pipeline um, rollout program in your company, to really onboard these people, like say give them a year, train them everything you know, you're gonna have a lot stronger workforce and one that uh, has value, values you as an employer because you have taken an investment in them. Yeah, and I've heard of many big tech companies say they're looking for people with those behavioral traits like problem solving, uh-huh. inquisitive mind, wanting to learn, and the basic coding skills is like all you need will teach you the rest. So it's interesting how we're seeing kind of that versatility sure. in the requirements. And in my arrogance, I personally think I could also do cybersecurity project management. <laughs> like there, there comes to a certain amount of, like you know the material enough yeah. that you could probably do the trade. And you think about, okay, I'm never gonna be the coder. Like I, with my very like writing background, I'm never going to be the person who's going to go and find a threat and hunt it, but maybe I can manage that process. And so it's about really identifying where your skill sets are and how you adopt them and how do you find those people. Uh, you know, here's here's my pitch to get picked up hey, by a cybersecurity firm. I got you. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, just in case. <laughs> so I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but so you were at RSA last month in April. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of your biggest takeaways from that show? Uh, RSA, I say this openly, that RSA is a little bit of my nightmare. Uh-huh. Um, it's great. So RSA really is this the best concentration of, of buyers and vendors in uh, one, one spot that, you know, there's like 45,000 people there. It's yeah, an it's enormous crazy. conference. Um, one of the challenges become is like, how do you navigate that? It's uh-huh. exhausting. That's why I say it's probably my least favorite conference because it is the most exhausting. You yep. start at 7 a.m. with your networking breakfast and you finish at 7 p.m. with your networking happy hour. And yep. by that, your brain is toast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the most value you get out of it is the networking and really meeting people who are like minds um, and, and seeing what's happening in the cybersecurity industry. The downside to that, however, is that you're speaking in an echo chamber. So a lot of these mm-hmm. issues that... Uh, security thought leaders are bringing up it's a moot point like everybody who's there already knows it everyone's talking about it there everyone knows it because, sure yeah nothing nothing's new really yeah so how do you then turn what you gleaned and translate it back to the business really the attendees of RSA should not be security people it should be everyone else hmm. uh, in the sense that like you don't need to know that WannaCry was the biggest threat that right, businesses faced. You know as a security professional that your organization was up against it. Sure, the forward-looking stuff is very important, but the people who could like best be suited for some of those more educational sessions are really not in the cybersecurity sector. And we speak about that with technology too. Like maybe the CEOs need to be there, not the CIOs or CISOs. Because you just need somebody else who understands this landscape and and so maybe then it becomes there should be a track RSA like cybersecurity for beginners, like what you need to know about the current threat landscape. Because only speaking technically and only speaking just to these 
security stakeholders isn't going to solve your business problems. And I'm, uh, you wrote a story on, on the Zoom CEO saying right. that basically the CIO is the new CEO. So do you think as as he's kind of the most important person in, in the boardroom right now, the most relevant, timely person in the boardroom, he needs to also pick up those CEO traits sure. in order to communicate that. Yeah, and, and just to clarify, it's the Zoom CIO I spoke to. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I think technology companies get it. Like, their CIOs are really elevated. Um, and so not only are they a member of the C-suite, but they also have significant... Um, sales power Mm -hmm. so they will go out and visit clients and customers and really show this is kind of how we as organizations are envisioning this and and it makes for a very powerful tool when you have your cio that can make those pitches but they're not wrong they do get it and in in the sense that one thing the zoom cio said is that like you're really a c a cio is the ceo of the tech technology business in a company. That's true. Yeah, some separate entity. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really important to to understand. Technology is no longer isolated. We always talk about isolated to the basement. It's not just a bunch of geeks walking around <laughs> trying to fix your computer or stop you from entering in an easy password, right? It has become something that's pervasive across the lines of business. HR is adopting technology. Your sales is completely reliant, largely on Salesforce, I assume, but they're so reliant on technology that you then have to, the the role of the CIO changes. It becomes that uh, a person who is, is very focused on kind of like leading by example and helping with these implementations uh, and giving a much more holistic view of how technology should be implemented. And so the CEO is is taking note in responsible companies. And I think you're going to see many more of these transitions as people look to uh, get new CIOs or, excuse me, as people look to get um, organizations look to get new CEOs. We'll start looking more to your C-suite leadership that is focused on technology. Sure. So not just coming from your CFO and your COO, mm-hmm. you're going to start seeing like CIOs and CISOs be elevated to CEO ranks. Yeah, very interesting. Um, so we'd like to ask this question for all of our guests, but um, what do you think will be you know, one of the top headlines of 2018? Mm. As from a security perspective or just generally related to technology? We'll go general technology. And then we can also do cybersecurity. We'll sure. Uh, so right now, the cat's meow is GDPR. Yep. If mm-hmm. you're anybody who's anybody in technology, you're talking about GDPR. Uh, my certified answer to that is you are too late if you're just now talking about it. Yeah. Yep. Like, good luck. Uh, you have one month to become compliant. No, not even. Not even close. I don't think many organizations that have been preparing for two years can really address some of these issues. Like, what does the right to be forgotten mean? Mm -hmm. If you have to restore from backups, did you also remove that person from a backup? There's many questions with this very vague guidance that haven't been addressed. And the EU has been sensibly saying they're, like, keeping their hands off it, right? They're they're saying, uh, we're just giving you these general guidelines. Please abide. Sure. I know they get emails from different, you know, services and whatever, like saying, sure. we updated our terms and conditions, we updated our privacy policy, all that kind of stuff. I still don't know what it means, but okay. Yeah, this yeah, sounds great. Like, sure. <laughs> I'm still never going to read the requirements of using your platform. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and so I think GDPR is, is the big 2018 yeah. sexy topic right now, and it's going to be get ready for GDPR headlines leading up until May 25th. After that, is, it's too late, this mm-hmm. is what happened headlines. 
thus far, it's been curious. We haven't seen any really large scale like cybersecurity, cyber threats being really nothing new. I hate to say that because tomorrow I could have Not breaking gonna, like, news. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost the one year anniversary of WannaCry. Please. I know. <laughs> Mother's Day weekend, maybe yeah. again. Sure. And, and I think there's a, there's a few interesting um, anniversaries that kind of crop up throughout the year. And sometimes you'll see a smattering activity. There's been an increase in DDoS attacks, but vendors are very quick to. Um, put the kibosh on them. I think GitHub is a really good example where they had yeah. very, very little downtime, but they were suffering an enormous, like, uh, one-plus terabyte DDoS attack. That's mm-hmm. that's huge. Um, so I, I we haven't quite seen anything new yet. And, and the big theme that came out of RSA in particular was what's old is new again. Yeah. And uh, they're seeing a lot of uptick in ransomware. And, and it's kind of a cliche, but there they are starting, starting to see like a lot of activity related to basic attack vectors that I thought we were done talking about in 2016, and now they're cropping up again. Um, so that's my, my biggest anticipation. Um, one thing that has been a change of tune is this. Um, we just had an article written this morning about blockchain sure. and how uh, actually nobody's implementing it in their business because surprise only vendors are working on it there's mm-hmm. no real solution so I think you're going to see this change of tunes for some of the hyped technologies um, at the same time there's always something else to hype we're starting to hear a lot more about quantum Alex Hickey in particular mm-hmm. it's her uh, pet beat where you're really looking at quantum development what are we talking about in terms of quantum computing that's a great question no clue um, because I think <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're actually seeing like real implementations mm-hmm. but people are getting really very excited about things that aren't quite yet available on market mm-hmm. uh, so I, I would venture that those just the continued hype of progressive technologies that's key GDPR is key and then we're going to see a good a good old fashioned cyber attack soon I just yeah, don't probably. know when yeah, we'll be on the edge of our seats waiting for it. There was really interesting. This was this told told to me by um, a Ukrainian cybersecurity firm. But there was the first two WannaCry and not Petya. I like to call it Nyetya because they think it has Russian variants. Yeah. Um, it had it, it kind of corresponded with some Ukrainian holidays. That is just just like some big Ukrainian holidays. I was convinced that that was going to be the case. There was another big holiday in August, and nothing happened. So maybe my okay. theory was his theory. My theory were debunked. But there are anniversary attacks that happen all the time, and sure. copycats attacks that happen all the time. So it's it's getting about that time mm-hmm. again. Yeah, makes my job exciting. That's when it's the most mm-hmm. most fun when somebody does something really really bad. Yeah, unpredictable. <laughs> you don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable. So. Yeah. So before we wrap up, um, we do like to kind of get a little more inside look on the person behind the byline, as we say. Um, we understand that you play the bassoon. I play the bassoon. That's awesome. Yeah. And that you also um, kind of you did you win a pie cooking competition? Yeah, this is gonna go okay. off. This is gonna go off great. Um, with if if my colleagues listen to this, because it's I'm sure it's getting annoying. Yeah, I I had to think of the perfect wording to say that I am like the best pie baker uh-huh. in the company. Let's be clear, I don't cook very much. Most of the time, I don't know how I survive. Okay. Uh, cheese and crackers and salad is a really good dinner for me. Balanced. Yeah, really mm-hmm. balanced. Um, I I play I've played bassoon since I was ten years old, wow. so I'm classically trained and and went um, through. College, decided I didn't want to be a music major, mm-hmm. 
but I was a glorified music major. I did all the advanced theory classes and had a senior recital and all that. I just didn't want to have to do the extra requirements to be the major. Uh, so I've played now for almost 17 years and still play with an orchestra here um, locally called the Capital City Symphony. Cool. Our final concert is on the 13th, nice. so come join. Well, Naomi, this has been so much fun to have you in our studio this morning. Thank you so much. Uh, we learned a lot. Um, we're looking forward to you know keeping in touch and, and um, you know getting this out there for everyone to listen to. So for everyone listening, stay tuned for updates on our next podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Media Mind Show and find us online at w2communications.com. Thank you. Thanks.